0: First Peter, chapter one, verses three through nine. The title of the message is how to rejoice even in suffering. Just let me get a quick show of hands. How many of you guys are going through something right now? Struggling, suffering, trial, tribulation. (laughs) I think my wife's hand was the tallest there. Probably just living with me. I don't know. (laughs) This is the third message in our living hope series. This book was written by Peter to a group of churches that are pretty much in the fiery furnace of persecution, of tribulation. This is actually, when you think about it, unbelievable persecution these guys were going through. We covered most of it on Thursday, but just to kind of get you up to speed, I'm not exaggerating. There were Christians that were covered in pitch, set ablaze alive as human torches for Nero's parties so that he could take his chariot through his garden and cry out the light of the world, the light of the world. There were Christians that were literally sewn inside of animal skins to be ripped apart by wild animals. There were Christians literally, we we say the phrase, but this actually happened, fed to the lions. And yet this letter is filled with hope. I don't know about you, but for me, if there's something that can give hope to people in that situation, you can give hope to me. Last Sunday we saw just the first word. If you were just open the scroll, just the crack and see the word Peter in that circumstance would have given you hope. Because you're like, if you know Peter, if God can change him and use him, Wow. God can can do something with me. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for us. Then on Thursday, we saw verses one and two right out of the gate. Peter begins to show that the key to having joy, even in the midst of suffering, is basically perspective. How you see yourself and how you see these trials. We're going to see a lot more of that this morning. I don't want to reteach Thursday, but let me give you just some key words that we that we uh, saw on Thursday, there's the word sojourner or pilgrims it might be in your translation. That means that we are just temporary visitors here on this ball of dirt. Right. All of the trials, sufferings, all of that stuff that you're facing is temporary. Right. We're just sojourners. There's the word seed that we looked at on Thursday because where it says children of the dispersion, it's diaspora, diasporic literally means scattered seeds. When you have persecution, do you see yourself as a dying corpse or a seed? That, yes, through death comes resurrection. Then There were some other words that begin with S, like selected by God, sanctified by the Spirit for his service. And then, of course, the thing that the Lord uses to sanctify, and we're going to see this again today, is suffering. You're like, woohoo. Well, I think, I hope, it's my prayer. We had a great time first service. I'm just praying, Lord, will do the same second service. That he'll show you that it's really, truly possible to have joy in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. That's the title of our whole series to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's talk about that very first word, blessed. If you're familiar with the Beatitudes in in Matthew chapter 5, there's a word blessed that means happy. That's a different word than this word here. This word blessed is eulogo. It's the same place we get the word eulogy. It means to speak well of reminded of a story there were two wicked brothers they both were really just terrible men they both cheat on their wives they abused their families they were fraudsters they were tax cheats but they also happened to be ridiculously wealthy and they used their ill-gotten gain to purchase if you will a reputation as good church-going folk well then a new pastor comes into town and he sees right through them. but uh They begin a fundraising campaign to start to build a new building. And one of the brothers dies. The remaining brother goes, makes a beeline to the pastor. The day before the funeral, hands him a check for $500,000 to finish the church. The wicked brother says, I only have one condition. It's one thing I ask. At the funeral, you must say that my brother was a saint. Pastor's like, signs a check deposits it the next day at the funeral he did not hold back pastor says he was an evil man he cheated on his wife and abused his family and what he didn't spend on gambling and alcohol he spent on adultery he went on like this for a while and then finally concluded with but compared to his brother he was a saint You Lego, it means to speak well of. I really want to encourage you. I hope this this gets through. Especially, listen, especially if you're suffering to speak well of the Lord. To say with Peter. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's hard. I know it's counterintuitive. To say that. When things aren't going as planned. But it's a good thing. And I think you'll see why here in a little bit. Let me ask you. When things don't go just like you planned. When they don't go the way you want them to. Are those the kind of words that come out of your mouth? Blessed be the Lord. Are those the words that roll around in your head? Do you speak well of the Lord? Peter is saying to A group of suffering saints, then and now, speak well of him, praise him, worship him. There's power in that. There's hope in that. There's encouragement in that. You guys might remember the the story of Paul and Silas, right? Down in the lowest part of the dungeon in Philippi. Their backs are raw from the beating that they've taken there's no sanitation down there it's nasty they're chained up imagine you you're you're a fellow prisoner you're up on like the second from the bodice, bottom floor there in the dungeon and you hear below you in the lowest part every blessing you pour out to turn back to praise when the darkness closes in lord Still I will say, blessed be the name of the... They're like, what in the world is going on down there? These guys were singing his praises even when it was counterintuitive. And if you know the rest of the story, earthquake comes. The, the jailer comes in, freaking out. He says, what must I do to be saved? And you have a salvation story. Over and over again, we're going to see in this book, Suffering and glory, they go together. Death, resurrection goes together. They were chained up in the darkest, dankest, most unsanitary part of the jail, and they were singing praise songs. Listen, it will change your attitude. It will change your perspective. Now, I know I can tell by some of the faces. I know some of you are thinking, well, I would love to speak well of him. But it's really hard. Right now. You're thinking, when I hear the word eulogy, I'm thinking, I'm the one that needs a eulogy. I'm dying here. You say to me, give me a reason to sing his praises. Just one reason to sing his praises in my circumstance. Well, I'll give you four. Not bad? You ask for one? I'll give you four. And they all start with R. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you can write down the side of your page R, 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 R. Are so when the devil tries to board your ship and take that treasure that is your joy, you can say, "Ar, not so fast." <clears throat> okay. There are four things in our text that believers can focus on. Let's call them fodder for praise. Okay, stuff that that you can always praise Him for. There's four wonderful, wonderful truths, probably more, but four that I found here that if you think about them. They will give you hope, even when you are being tried by fire. Look at verse 13 real quick. I want to show you something. Please know that verses 3 through 12 is basically a laundry list of great blessings, uh, fodder, praise, okay, stuff that you can fill your mind with. And look at verse 13. It says, therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. And it points you back to these last verses, verses 3 through 12. And he says, therefore, knowing all of this, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, we saw this. This was amazing last week. The fact that Peter, a guy who looks before he leaps or leaps before he looks right. Ready, fire, aim. That was Peter. Amazing that he gets it here. He's changed enough to go, wait a second, the battle is not won with my sword. The battle begins in the mind. It's won or lost, guys, in the mind and the mindset. How you look at your whole circumstance, okay? Peter's going to say in these verses uh, today and and Thursday, he's going to say, look, look at all the good things that you can be and should be thinking about praising him for. One more thought before we get more into the text here you ever thought about the fact that the word rejoice is re, meaning to do again, and joy? Anybody feel like you kind of need to get your joy back? You need to rejoice. Look at it, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to see this is how you rejoice. This is how you rejoice get your mind back in the place that it should be even no matter what your circumstances are okay all right your first r if you're taking notes first fodder for praise resurrection it's a beautiful word when you think about it first peter chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be that is speak well of God, Of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Real quick, we don't have time to uh, expound every single word, but I want you to see that abundant mercy. I just got a real quick uh, phrase for you to to help you understand what's what he's saying. Abundant mercy that is the overflowing desire. To bless the undeserving. God, according to his overflowing desire to bless you, though you don't deserve it, has, it says, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the the dead. First reason to rejoice, guys, if you're a believer, even in the midst of suffering, is this, the word resurrection to a living hope. Now, we need to stop real quick again and say this. You need to see that phrase begotten us again. Quick note to any unbeliever who might be in the room. This whole letter. Also, this text right here is sorry to say is not going to be of hope to you. You're not going to find a lot of hope in this letter until and unless you are, it says, born again. If you're coming here to hear nice words that you hope will make you feel better, I guarantee you they won't really last for you unless you are and until you are born again. None of the following blessings that we're going to talk about the rest of this time apply to you. It doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a guy who was the most religious guy in the land at that time, You must be born again. You've got to be completely born. You've got to be starting over. You need a new start. If if I'm speaking to you and you have not yet been born again, the only thing that makes sense for you today is just to surrender your life to him, to give him your life. To ask him to come into your life, to repent of your old life and ask him to help you live the life that he wants for you to make him your Lord, your boss. Okay. so I just I just want to be as clear as I can, because if you're not if you're here as an unbeliever and you're not in the family of God, none of the rest of this really matters for you. Okay. all right. But for the believer, what's one good reason to speak well of him? Resurrection. To a living hope. Verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Question. What is the biggest problem that you face today? No pointing. (laughs) Actually, this is one of those rare times that you can you can just if you want to yell out a, a word, you can. Anybody facing a financial problem? Okay. Just a few. Just a tiny few. A health problem? Okay. Anybody facing a relationship problem? A social problem? Anybody facing a sin problem? Listen. I understand all of us here, many of us here today are facing some very serious problems. But have you thought about this? That God has already solved your greatest problem. Wouldn't you pretty much agree that man's greatest problem is the death thing? Dying. Isn't that the thing that kind of looms there for you? Wow, that's that's pretty big problem. I don't have the technology to do this, but maybe one of you guys does. If you're, if you're looking for a really easy application as far as, hey, I can do this and it can be done and, and I'll know that I applied the message. I have a great idea. What if you made a button that you wore on your shirt that just said, problem solved? People would ask you about it. What do you mean? Well, my greatest problem is already solved. God solved my greatest problem. That whole dying thing. See, when Jesus rose from the grave, he solved our greatest problem. So now we have, according to the abundance of the text of the scriptures, a living hope. A living hope. Every other religion, when you, when you break it down, uh, those who follow Buddha or Confucius, Those who study Islam, every single one of them, you can point to a grave or an urn, basically where you can go, there's hope that's dead. But we have an empty tomb. We have, Peter would say, a living hope. And he saw that tomb empty. We have an empty grave. We have a living hope. We have Jesus. And listen, when you think about that, when you start to really get that and apply it, if you thought about this, that every death, every death in a Christian's life sooner or later ends in a resurrection. Every burial, if you will, is a seed sown where life can spring up. I'm happy to say I haven't asked permission, but I think I know these people pretty well. If they hate me for it, they'll they'll let me know. But I, I, I'm happy to say I can think of very quickly, very easily, three families that have stories of resurrection. Just in the last little bit. If you want to, if you if you need some hope, some encouragement, ask the Wilkins about resurrection. Raise your hand real quick. Okay, they'll talk to you about resurrection, of a of a job, of a career, of a ministry. If you want to, ask the Hocuses. About death and resurrection. Raise your hand. Awesome story. I'll let Finn tell you about it. I won't even, won't even spoil it for him. If you want to, ask Charles and Elizabeth Clendenny about resurrection. A year ago, we had no idea if she was gonna if little Isabel was gonna make it through any of the things that she's been through and made it through. Y'all there are stories of living hope. Here's the thing I know. Maybe you're still waiting for yours. Lisa and I are patiently waiting for Noah's resurrection of his verbal skills. Okay, maybe not patiently all the time. Listen, one thing we know is that it's guaranteed this life or the next. Every death, there's a guaranteed resurrection. Right. Your, your, your resurrection, if you're a Christian, is guaranteed either in this life or the next. It's like one of my favorite songs. I'm, I'm a fan of acapella music. Take six did a remake of Carmen's song. You guys remember Carmen? Yeah. Take six version was so much cooler. <laughs> it might seem like Friday night, but Sunday's on the way. Resurrection. Remind yourself of that. Remember that resurrection is guaranteed for you. I promise you that will help you praise him. That is speak well of him. Again, this word eulogized. You ever wish you could hear what people will say about you after you're dead? Maybe not. (laughs) Here's what I think some of you will say about me when I'm dead. Lucky stiff. Because he got his resurrection. Listen, Jesus is a living hope. Have you ever thought about this? This word eulogize. One of the reasons it kind of freaks us out in the thought of God is because we start to think of death. Well, Jesus already died, but now he's risen again. Have you ever thought that if you wait till he's dead to eulogize him, you'll be waiting a long time? Why not speak well of him today while he lives? So we can praise him then because of this word resurrection, but we can also praise him. Number two, your second R, for the word reserved. That which is reserved in heaven for you and the fact that he is reserving you for heaven. Look at verse four to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, guys. You can praise him even in the midst of suffering because of what he has reserved for you. The word reserved means to safely keep. We have the Federal Reserve. Never mind. (laughs) In in God's economy, he can safely keep. Verse 4 talks about that which he has safely kept, which he is reserving for you, that which is just waiting in heaven for you. And in verse five, he talks about the other end of it, which is the fact that he's going to safely keep you until you get there to receive that inheritance. First, four it says we've been born again to an inheritance. What's an inheritance? Something you get that you didn't earn when someone who loves you dies. Now, on earth here, that's a bittersweet thing sometimes, right? You you get gain, but it's born out of loss. It's bittersweet. Listen, Christian, there ain't no bitter in this. It's all sweet. Christ died, you inherit, and Christ lives again. There ain't no bitter. It's all sweet. It brings a whole new meaning to the word living will. Right? You have an inheritance, but the one who has left this for you is living right by your side. See, we can rejoice even in suffering because of not only his resurrection and our resurrection, but because of what he has reserved for us. And listen to how Peter describes it. uh, Chapter one, verse four to an inheritance, it says incorruptible. You know what that means? It means no decaying, no dying. You think about all the possible inheritances you might come into, right? Maybe somebody leaves you a car, you inherit a car. It rusts. Or if you're like me, you crash it. Don't laugh too hard. Maybe somebody leaves you a house. It could rot or burn down or suffer an earthquake, a hurricane, right? All that stuff. Maybe somebody leaves you really fancy clothes. They can just be eaten by moths. But verse 4 says that thing, that inheritance that is waiting for you in heaven is incorruptible there's no death there's no decay and think about it everything in heaven is incorruptible y'all that means there's no decaying backs it's good stuff no decaying teeth no decaying minds no decaying paychecks No decaying, no death, no disease. It says, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. That means literally unsoiled, not dirtyable, if that's a word. You guys ever fear that you ever daydream? I do sometimes that stupid stuff. You ever wonder if, like, in heaven, you might blow it? (laughs) I know it doesn't make sense when you really think about it, but follow my... Twisted train of thought here. I mean, you think eternity is an awful long time and I can't even make it through one day right now without blowing it. How am I ever going to last that long? You ever fear that there's you're going to be on a cloud and a trap door is going to open up and pff, you slide right down? <laughs> Everything in heaven, guys, is incorruptible, undefilable. If you're in heaven, that describes you. The Bible says that when we get there, we're going to be like him. And he is unable to sin. He cannot sin. We will be incorruptible, undefilable, and then it says and that does not fade away. If you're looking for different words to help you remember these things, what he's talking about is an inheritance that where there's no death, an inheritance where there's no dirt. And lastly, an inheritance where there's no diminishing, it doesn't fade. Again, another wondering of mine, Do you ever wonder if you're going to get bored in heaven? Some of you do at least wonder that the other one, you're like, he's crazy, but this one you get. You ever wonder if like you're going to be in heaven a thousand years from now and some cherubim is going to say under his breath, come on, can't we do just one different song It's not going to happen. See, this is like one of the one of the most frustrating things, I think, for me. I've actually had this thought, even independent of our our study, just occasionally lately. I'm irritated with myself. I'm bothered with the fact that here on Earth, things get old. Even if they don't get old, they get old in our minds. Right. You, You get some new gadget. Let's say you get an iPhone. okay? And like for a month or two it's the most amazing thing. And after a while, yeah, it's an iPhone, right? You, or you get something really big, and maybe as an inheritance. Given enough time, you just start to take it for granted. You, it just fades in its significance for you. Am, am I the only one? No. Okay. I'm amazed. I think the reason that it, that comes to my mind is I think of the times when when Isaac, my five year old boy, will come into the house. Burst in the house and go, dad, we just saw a train. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, to be able to see the world through a child's eyes, right, that that wondrous. We just saw a train. Well, what do we do as adults, right? We're like, there's a train, a big machine that didn't exist a couple hundred years ago, transport people at a very high rate of speed, whatever. We have this amazing ability to have importance of things diminished in our minds, right? What this is saying is, guys, you have an inheritance that not only there's no death, there's no decay, there's no dirt that can stick to it at all, but it's undiminishing. Now, how does that work? I have no idea. I mean, does God make us dumber? You know, like, make us the intellect of a child? I don't think so. But it's possible that he gives us the mindset of a child. I think probably more more likely it's the fact that he's eternal. He's so much bigger than we can imagine. I was thinking maybe to give you a little bit of an idea. Imagine that you you lived in the year 200. And you popped into earth today. You'd spend quite a bit of time going, wow. Wow, that's amazing. I never would have thought of that. And that's just what man can do. So isn't it pretty likely that when we get to heaven, a million years from now, we're still going to be going, okay, what is it new today? Awesome. Wow, I never saw that one coming. He's God. He created the whole world and like created all of everything what six days right it's like he speaks things into existence there will be one mind-blowing revelation after another forever and ever so all of this this inheritance think about it that will never die that will never get dirty that will never diminish is according to the end of verse four it says reserved in heaven for you the word reserved again means guarded. It's safely deposited. It's just waiting for you. It's guaranteed. Listen, guys, this is why Matthew, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where, your thie- where thieves do not break in or steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just as a side thought i don't think any of us here would ever (laughs) if you saw an advertising that said uh fred's bank where we guarantee given enough time your valuables will be destroyed or stolen (laughs) wouldn't put your stuff in there but if instead there was a trustworthy soul who had all the resources you not only that you can imagine but beyond what you could imagine And he guarantees your treasure will not die or decay or get dirty or be diminished in any way. Where are you investing? And this all comes back again just to our thought life. Where are you investing in your thought life? So not only is your inheritance reserved for you, verse 4, but look at verse 5. Verse five says that you are reserved for it. You are reserved for heaven. You have a reservation. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have a reservation in heaven. So I think we should be speaking well of him. Let's read verses four and five to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. First, word I want you to see there is kept it, it mean, it's a military word. It means to guard, to protect by a military guard, to prevent hostile invasion. So Peter says to a church that's being persecuted way beyond what any of us can even really wrap our heads around, says you are being guarded unto that time when you will receive this great inheritance. Not only is your inheritance being kept for you, but you are being kept for it. And it says that you are being guarded, saints, by the power of God. Let's see. Is that enough to watch out for you? Power of God. Yeah, I think so. Speak well, Christian of God, who not only guarantees you a resurrection, he guarantees you that he has reserved an inheritance for you. And he's reserved you for heaven. And, stop there. When you think about it, just knowing that there's an inheritance waiting for you in heaven should also give you hope. I don't know if you read, this week I read that some states, because of the economic crunch, are beginning to uh, be a little less careful with un, uh, unclaimed treasure. That basically they're looking for ways to, if you leave your uh, your savings account or your stock account or whatever it might be. If you leave it, un, uh, if you don't spend any time corresponding or any of that stuff, that they're looking for ways to get their hands on that unclaimed treasure. If you thought about the fact that in heaven, there is no unclaimed treasure. God doesn't just, you know, you don't have to worry that he's looking at you going, oh, man, I thought she was going to do so well. So I set aside all of this treasure and, you know, all this great inheritance. But, oh, man, she kind of blew it. So I guess it's not going to work out. There's no unclaimed treasure. So just the fact that there's an inheritance for you should give you great hope. OK, he's reserved a place in heaven for you and he's reserved you for heaven. So we have some hope here, right? Resurrection, the word reserved. Here's your third word. The, the Our word is refining. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Now, actually, stop just a second. This, I think, probably really important. I was going to say this at the beginning, but maybe this is the time to say it. It says, in this you greatly rejoice. What's the this? Please understand, if, you, if you've missed some of this. Please understand, I am not asking you, nor is God asking you to rejoice because of the trial. The this is not the trial. He's not saying rejoice in the trial in this sense. In other words, he's not saying that you have to say, I lost my job. Praise God. I got cancer. woohoo." No. This is huge. And you need to make the distinction The this is. Is the four R's that we're talking about. The this is all of the stuff that remains true even though your world is falling apart. That this is the word resurrection. Reservation. And this word refining. You can rejoice that God is refining you. Look at it. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Stop there. Various trials. Uh, In the Old King James, it's manifold. What it means is all sorts of trials. And isn't that the truth? Better or worse, life is a veritable cornucopia of trials. A smorgasbord of suffering. How many of you guys know how my vacation went with me and Lisa? If you read her blog, you know about the vacation. The dreaded vacation. I don't have time to tell you about all of it. Let me give you the uh, short version. Flu. Fire alarms. Collisions. Children barfing. (laughs) Bumpers falling off. Locked out of vacation home. And you guys, that was just our vacation. (laughs) Life has various trials, right? But here's the thing. If you focus on the various trials, you're sunk. If you were to to look on Lisa's blog, you'll see over and over again, the response was, that was so awesome that you guys could have a sense of humor about it and stuff. It's because we didn't focus on the trial. Matter of fact, you can find kind of what we focused on earlier in that verse. It's these words, for a little While. This too shall pass. You guys, there's coming an end to the suffering, I promise. And God isn't up there scratching his head saying, man, I don't know how this happened. There's coming an end to it, and he actually has a purpose in it. Look at verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter compares our faith, guys, to gold. And he says that faith is more precious. Maybe you've heard about the guy, right, that just would not refuse to believe that saying that you can't take it with you. So he ordered the people around him, okay, I want you to put gold bars in my coffin. And he mentioned to the undertaker, "Okay, I want you to wrap my arms tightly around the gold so that I can take it with me to heaven. Well, he somehow manages. It's a joke, so we can make this up. He somehow manages to actually stroll up to the gates of heaven, right? Pushing this wheelbarrow full of gold bars and it's worth a million dollars. And Peter says, great, what we needed more pavement. Gold is no commodity. In heaven. But look what is, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, faith is a commodity in heaven. When you get to heaven, there'll be no praise or honor or glory for you because of the gold or because of your accomplishments, or your wit, or any of that stuff. The Bible is very clear. Over and over again, it's your faith that will get you the attaboy from Jesus. Think about it. How many times did he say in his Gospels, over and over again, he talked about faith. He's like, oh, you have little faith. Or, or he talks to this and he says about the centurion, here's a Gentile. I've not seen so much faith in, in even the Jews here really impressed by what this this word faith here's the thing i'm i'm convinced when i when i see him face to face he's not going to say to me great job singing or preaching he's not going to go hey how many folks did you have in your church the question he's going to ask me how much, and, and better say this quick so you know, not, this is not a salvation issue. Well, it can be if you don't have faith in him at all, if you don't ever turn your life to him. But when it comes to rewards, this is what he's going to ask me. How much, how often, how deeply did you trust me? In every circumstance, did you trust me? Faith is much more precious to God than gold. And he wants you to have a ton of it when you get there. And you guys, this actually explains a lot, right? If faith is more precious to God than gold, that's why he's taking all of your gold and asking to replace it with faith. Faith, just like gold, it says in our text, must be tested, refined. How do you refine gold? You send it through the fire. You turn up the heat, right? Refining is a process where you turn up the heat and it brings the junk to the top. And then you scrape it off. And then you rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Until that which remains, it says in verse 7, is genuine. Pure. Look at verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that is, your faith is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, let me put it this way. Here's, here's what your, your suffering, your circumstances, all the things that, that we like to complain about, this is what they're doing for you right now. They are separating that pure, genuine faith from your fake faith or misplaced faith or polluted faith. Let me let me say it this way. You lose your job, you very quickly discover whether your faith is in your job or your God. Your health starts to go south. You quickly discover whether your faith is in doctors or health care or your body. Or the government? Or the God who created you? I was thinking this is a good rule of thumb. Something to ask yourself. That I, I need to ask myself. Every time something happens to shake you. The more that you freak out. Ask yourself this question. Where does this freak fest. That I'm having right now. Where does this indicate that my faith. Has been. You following me? Oh, well, if I'm really losing it here, my faith must have been in something in this area. It must have been in something other than the holy living God who loves me. See, here's the thing. His end game. The Lord's end game. The thing that he's getting at. Is he wants you to have an abundance of this commodity called faith when you get to heaven. Let me put it this way in heaven. Faith is bling. (laughs) Verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In case you're you're not believing me or following me here, do you realize that there's a whole chapter, Hebrews 11, that's called the Hall of Faith. We have the Hall of Fame, right? Faith in heaven is going to be bling. And he wants you to, at the end of this, he wants to give you praise, honor, and glory when he comes. See, the Lord always has the long view of things. Let me say that again. He always has the long view of things. Let me ask you this this way. What would happen if the Lord actually answered all of your Rescue me prayers in the timing and the way that you wanted them to. What if every time you said, Lord, stop this suffering? Lord, if you love me, you'll just stop this right now. What if every time he said, "Okay, All right. You get up to heaven, you'd have no bling. Everybody else would be casting their crowns before his feet you being a little beanie <laughs> saying to the guy next to you, can I borrow a crown? I really kind of feeling kind of dumb here. He wants you to have this thing that will give you praise, honor and glory when he comes, when he returns for you. OK, we don't even have time to exposit this last R, but I'm going to give it to you. And maybe maybe the Lord will just uh, bless you and give you some some understanding on it. But we have what so far we have resurrection. We have what he's reserved for you and the fact that he's refining you. Right. And in case you hadn't heard it right, that that picture of an artisan, a guy who turns up the fire, gets rid of all the junk. Then he keeps up going and going and going until finally he can see his reflection in you. That's what he's up to. Okay? so that's resurrection reserved for you that he's refining you. And here's your final R. Or ours, you can look forward to a rewarding, revealing reunion because it says that we may be found uh, that he, that our faith may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse eight, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We'll exposit that a lot more on Thursday, but it's a rewarding, revealing reunion that we should be looking to. Lots of good reasons to praise him. Let's pray.